Hello, this is Rhys Jones of Davidson Gray. Welcome to my podcast. I'm joined today by my good friend Jake Overend, who wants to talk to me on the subject of why startup recruitment companies fail. Hello, Rhys. Thank you again for having me on your podcast. Not at all, sir. Not at all. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Ah, thank you very much. Well, um, you've already said it. We're going to talk a little bit about why recruitment startups fail, which I think is quite an important subject to talk about because for those people who've already listened to a bunch of our podcasts, which are all available on the Davidson Gray website, um, they would have heard about how people can set up a recruitment business um, and already given them some advice and tips on how they can do that. So I think it's important to talk about the pitfalls that some recruiters might have when they are setting up and what causes us to fail. Well, thank you. Nicely teed up, Jake. Um, a fun if I was asked this question only this week by a potential recruitment partner um, who wanted to know why recruitment companies fail. And it's, it's difficult to be answered without sounding like a big head, but um, I've first my, I first set up my first recruitment company back in uh, 2000, so that's 20 years ago. And I've been doing Davis Gray for eight years. I've not had a failure yet. Um, I don't know, I don't know the put the air on the end, uh, but I've got a failure. So my experience firsthand of failures is, is not very good at all. However, I've obviously seen other businesses fail. So I do understand the reasons for why. Uh, and clearly I've caught some of the businesses I work with uh, before they've come a cropper. Is this, so is this a good point, good time to point out that you started doing recruiting when I was six years old? Uh, probably not, Jake. No, thanks for that. <laughs> um, yes, we'll, we'll, we'll jog on from that one. Yes, I'm 49. Shut up. Um, but, uh, <laughs> well, it means that um, you have lots of experience in having your recruiters' um, startups never fail. Correct, sir. That's correct. Yeah. Um, but what I think is worth pointing out there is there is a, a common statistic which I use in my uh, some of my blogs uh, that four out of five recruitment companies fail. Um, this this is a, is a is a true statistic. However, it is skewed somewhat by um, two groups of people that I think are sort of set up to fail anyway. One which is people who don't come from a recruitment background. Um, these are people who've got probably a very big black book and don't necessarily have the respect for the recruitment industry that it deserves and understand that skills involved. So you do get a few of those. I get inquiries occasionally for people like that. Um, so I think with those people, they're kind of set up to fail. Um, and the other group is uh, made up of recruiters who haven't really necessarily been a huge success in the recruitment industry they've either not climbed the corporate ladder or they're not necessarily very good billers and they've got to a plateau and they decide well, what can I do next because changing jobs isn't really going to change my life so what I'll do is I'll become a lifestyle recruiter and build my 100 grand a year uh, from home which can can sound appetizing but uh, quite often the, the people that that build that amount aren't necessarily the most driven people in the world um, so it does become difficult to motivate yourself working from home and also if something happens the economy um, takes a turn for the worst that hundred thousand could drop down to 60 before you know it you're not making enough money so that, that, that is skewed slightly by those two groups but in saying that there are some very good billers and potentially good business people that do come a cropper um, and their businesses don't succeed um, but but also I wanted to define what is a success because when I get asked you know what uh, what reasons are there for businesses to fail? It depends what you mean by fail, because there's fail uh, catastrophically by going bump. There's fail as in not really going anywhere beyond uh, a sole trader, and there's fail of, of not hit, hitting the heights that you should do because you haven't necessarily gone the right path. So there's, there's very different ways that you could not succeed, um, but uh, today I'm probably going to focus on the ones that 
uh, are the, the terminal failures, um, the ones that don't last uh, either to the two-year mark or beyond. Um, so you've talked a little bit about the kind of recruiters that um, shouldn't be in, that make those statistics so large anyway. So tell us a little bit more about the sort of trip ups that people have when they are setting up a business who are quite successful. Those big billers that go in there and they're already billing, you know, um, loads of money in the current job now, but they still fail at, recruit, um, at building their own business anyway. What is it that happens to them? Uh, well, there's, there's numerous um, common issues, but I think the biggest one is, is the cash flow. Um, because we, we mentioned this a few times on our podcast in the blogs, which is placements of vanity, invoices of sanity, and cash is king. Um, and that, that is something that, as, a, as a, a new business person, you've got to get in straight away. Because as a recruiter, you're used to placing. So everything's about placements. Uh, sometimes if you've got a commission structure based on invoice, maybe that's important, but you're certainly never involved with cash collection. Um, and, and that's one thing that is, is very difficult to get out of that mindset, I think, as a recruiter, is you're looking at your board and your place loads. But as you, if your business is growing certainly beyond one person, you've got to get handle on when are those people going to start and when is the cash going to come in, in addition to the expenses that you have in a business. And again, that's one of those things that maybe you're not used to. You've got your, your monthly expenses, which is, for example, your salary and maybe a LinkedIn subscription, but there are obviously going to be big ones every now and again that you've got to make sure you've got an eye on. Uh, VAT comes once a quarter, corporation tax once a year, personal tax twice a year. Well, corporation tax after year two is actually twice a year. Um, so those can come a cropper and... I think it's the drunken success um, that can make that much, much worse. Because it, with, with um, an employed position, you, you pay tax pay as you earn, so you pay it at source. Whereas when you're self-employed, you pay it after you've earned it. So what that means is, is if you have a fantastic six or 12 months, the bill that you get at the end of it will be massive. But what then can make it a double whammy is because you've, you've had so much success in that 12 months, you used to having a high income, so you spend a lot, and you haven't got it left over because recruiters we tend to spend the money that we've got. But then along comes a big personal tax bill of forty thousand pounds, and you haven't got it. So that is is, is probably the biggest failing uh, of startups and SMEs is just not getting a handle on the cash flow. Okay, well we've talked about having experienced recruiters set up quite a bit on this podcast. Um, and like you said, some of the pitfalls they have there is that they don't necessarily have experience in things like cash flow. So if if we have experienced recruiters listening who do want to set up their own business, how do they avoid those obstacles? Um, well, when it comes to cash flow, it, it's, it, it, is pl- it is making sure you're aware of the bills that come along. And it's putting together... Uh, sort of a cash flow system, which traditionally is, is an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, there's a, ma- many other ways of doing it, but it's making sure that if you do commit to some expenditure, you know what cash is coming in. You don't rely on a full placement board. Um, sometimes you can get that through an accountant, but a lot of that I think is mindset because as a recruiter, we are trained to find jobs for people, compete for jobs. So you get a good candidate, you want to stick them straight out to market, you get a good vacancy, you want to straight out and fill it. And it's very easy to get distracted by that because that's what earns you the money, but then forget the business side of it. And it's that difficulty in spinning two plates that a lot of startups have, which is moving from being obsessed, and rightly so, of making placements, to then understanding the business side of running the company and trying to do the two jobs. And this is where it's massively valuable to have a mentor, a non-exec, involved with your business. Somebody who has been there before can give you advice to, to help prevent making mistakes, 
can obviously help you expand your ideas uh, on how you're going to grow the business but also could be maybe some sort of discipline for you that if you're having maybe a monthly meeting or whatever the non-exec that person can help discipline you with your cash flow because a lot of it comes down to discipline discipline sounds a bit extreme but it is that um, managing to keep you focused on the things that really matter in the business and as a recruiter you will always focus on placements and that's understandable but having a non-exec or a mentor would be giving yourself a massive advantage on cash flow in addition to not only the other mistakes which we're going to talk about but also the expansion plans and how you're going to grow things and helping you to work on your business rather than in it because if you're a recruiter you wish to work in your business but to work on it means taking time out and, and looking at the business to look at strategy maybe looking at the numbers and you, you won't do that it's very very difficult to discipline yourself to come out of the business because we all know that time kills deals and if I ever I come across a recruiter that isn't busy they're not successful recruiters because recruiters are busy all the time partly because a, a big chunk of your job is being proactive if you haven't got a lot on your desk so you're always busy doing what you are as a recruitment consultant so it's difficult to, to take yourself away from that and go, right, I'm going to spend a little bit of time doing the stuff that isn't what I'm used to to make sure the business runs itself and also I can plan for the future. And it's, that is, I found it very difficult to do that and I solved that by having a mentor and non-exec who used to plan the, the monthly management meetings or board meetings, you used to call, but not really board meetings. And that helped me a lot with working on the business. My cash flow was okay up to that point, but certainly helped me a lot with working on the business and moving from high billing recruiter with a couple of staff to a businessman. That's quite a pertinent point, actually. Um, do you think that confidence at all, or overconfidence, should I say, does play a part in that sort of big billing recruiter that goes in all guns blazing thinking that they're able to set up a business straight away on their own just because they're really good at billing? Like, is there an element of... that? Because we all know that recruiters are very confident people by their very nature. Is there an element of there being maybe too much, too much confidence when it comes to setting up a business? 100%. 100%. It isn't necessarily at the outset, because most people are nervous with this setup. Not all. Some people are still a little bit full of their own self-importance and think, okay, I can wing this. I'm a big biller. I'll be able to do it myself. Uh, and I want to do it myself to prove to everybody how clever I am. Uh, those are the sort of people I wouldn't partner with, because unfortunately, the way they will learn is through pain by making mistakes. Because if you're going to hire, say, a non-exec uh, to work in your business, you're hiring someone who's got more experience than you, so you're the smartest guy in the room. So that's the smart thing to do. But if, if you are incredibly confident and don't think you need the help from the get-go, you're always going to have a problem. But I think it's more so an issue that um, if the recruiter has uh, a lot of success at the beginning billing, and even worse, <laughs> um, taking staff on that succeed easily. Because what that then does, it gives you the, the sense that it is easy. And that's when you can start to become complacent about cash flow. You can become complacent about your expenditure. You can start to take out money from the business before it's ready. And it, yeah, you're quite right because the, the sort of psychometric profile of a recruiter tends to be a very confident person, and sometimes bombastic as well. You, you, you can get a bit carried away with that. And also a nice trait of, of a recruiter sort of people are optimists. Most, most recruiters are optimists, but that can trip you up if you don't watch it. Okay, so there's a level of needing to understand what it is you don't know about setting up a recruitment business when it comes to this. Yeah, it's, it's having that humility to understand that moving from running a desk and being a recruitment consultant to running a business, it's, it's a new job. And if you haven't been taught how to do it, there's no instruction manual or you don't have somebody to turn to uh, when you've got a problem or be able to coach you, 
it's going to be very, very difficult to learn that job because it's a brand new job. Um, so if, if, if you are overconfident, you're not going to reach out for that help. And it, and it, is, it is going to trip you up. It's, 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 um, that overconfidence can turn into arrogance. And then you, 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 you want to do it yourself and then you're too proud to ask for help. Hmm. In, in, in terms of that humility and um, having that humility to understand what you don't know and asking for help when you need it, how much, as someone who's like worked with many successful recruits before, a bit of a shameless plug for you there, Reese. Um, how much, <laughs> how much of that can actually be um, learned behaviour when you're working with a recruiter, and how much of it is just the person as they are, and you can't really change it? Um, I, th- I think it's an experience thing rather than necessarily sort of teaching it people because. I, as, as you go through growing your business, I think there's a lot of maturing that you've got to do as, a, as an owner-manager, uh, and that comes with time. If you're working with a, a mentor, an exec or something like yourself, I can, I can help accelerate that maturing um, and, 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 and allow you to pick it up a bit quicker. Whereas if you do it on your own because you're in the business all the time, you don't necessarily mature and grow as quick. Um, so so you, can, you can help nurture that, but I would say there's a larger chunk of that it's natural. And, and if it is natural and you are a little bit overconfident and possibly complacent and a bit arrogant, unfortunately, the best teacher for that is pain, which is making a mistake, not being able to pay the VAT bill, worried about your mortgage, whatever it might be. Because the vast majority of people, the best teacher is pain, not pleasure. So if, if you do have people that struggle with humility, quite often it has to be uh, a very big fall to get it knocked into them that, okay, this is not as easy as it's going to be. There's always going to be the occasional hiccup. Yes, ride the waves, but make sure you watch out for the lows at the same time. Um, so it, it's, I mean, the, the people that I choose to work with for Davidson Gray, the fact that they're coming to me to ask for help because they want to recruit an experienced person to work with and to help grow the business suggests that they have the humility in the first place. So I don't necessarily come across that too much myself, but I do come across people I've not worked with, uh, other recruiters who maybe after six months, 12 months or 18 months, do inquire with me and say, look, I've, I've really caused myself a big issue there. Can you help get me out of the mud? Um, because I've got myself a serious problem here. Uh, and these are people that maybe I spoke to when they were first setting up, but they didn't want my help then because they thought they could do it themselves. And, that, and certainly I don't, obviously, I don't feel smug at all about that. And if I can help people, I will do. Um, but but if, if, if you're going into running your business and you don't want help because you want to show you can do it yourself, I think you need to just have a step back and make sure you are a bit more careful because you're probably more likely than most to be prone to be overconfident, overspending, and then shoot yourself in the foot. Hmm. And at the end of the day, who doesn't want help becoming successful at business? Um, to be fair, I can empathise because when I first set up my business, um, I wanted to do it myself because um, I was a very confident individual, big biller, and thought, you know, I could wing it. Um, I just wasn't, quite frankly, mature enough, and I was very, very lucky not to come a cropper. Um, I saw the light, if you want to call it that, when I went to Cranfield Business School in 2005. I mean, by that point, I had built a successful business, more by luck than anything else. But going to Cranfield Business School taught me that you can learn academically how to be a business builder, how to be a business manager. There's this facet that you've got to learn, and I just... Talked to it like a duck to water because I left school pretty much at 15. I wasn't an academic, but I was very much into the sort of entrepreneurial side of it because that interested me. But to go to Cranfield Business School and learn that you can study that, um, and there was a massive penny drop when I went there, which which was the whole, you know, if you hire somebody more experienced than yourself, 
uh, and even better than yourself, who's the smartest guy in the room? It's you, because you're the person that's hired that person, but it's your company. So you're the cleverest person in the room. And it was at that point I realized uh, that reaching out and asking people for input and advice was a smart thing to do, um, rather than trying to wing it yourself. So from that moment onwards, not only did I hire in on an exec and a mentor, but I used to take an awful opinion from the staff. Um, because up to that point, you know, I was very comfortable with my own abilities. I used to run the company without taking too much opinion. I was fairly popular, so I got away with it. But as I grew as a business person, I was asking more and more for people's input and opinion. And it's amazing how much you can learn from anybody, you know, no matter what level they are and how to grow your business. So um, that, that I learned through the pleasure side, which is unusual, going through Cranfield Business School. Um, but unfortunately, yeah, it, it does. Sometimes people have to get a bit of a kick to, uh, to work that out. That seems like a really good way to run things up, I think, to um, talk about how people need to learn through pain or learn through, learn through good, or even learn through good experience, essentially. Well, that's, that's, that's a good point, Jake. Uh, it is get to get that mantra that the, the, the non-executive can fire one because having that old head within your business that has made the mistakes themselves and learned from them just means you shortcut them. So if you can find someone who's going to help shortcut those mistakes so you make money quicker uh, with less stress and your business is safer from any, any bumps in the road with the economy, then you, you're setting yourself for an easier life and your business will be more successful. I like that tip. Learn from other people's mistakes rather than your own. Yes, and that's why I'm not a bad person to partner with because the first five years of my running my company, I did, to be fair, make quite a few mistakes. However, I did have the humility that whenever something went wrong, I didn't look at somebody else as to whose fault was that. I always looked in the mirror and thought, okay, what could I have done better? What 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 could I have done to prevent that? In the same way that uh, when I've hired staff, if, if they've not worked out, I don't blame the person for not working out. I blame myself because I hired that person, I interviewed that person, I did the induction, I managed them, and I gave them the value to work in. So if they weren't successful, it's going to be one of those things that didn't work out, and that's my fault. So as a, as a, a business owner, that's one thing you've got to learn. If you do make a mistake, don't blame somebody else. Amazing. And I think that note on humility there is actually a really good way to round things up. So thank you, Reese, for answering my questions on why setups fail. No problem, Jake. I shall look forward to speaking again, mate. Thanks for listening to my podcasts. Uh, as you probably can tell through uh, the content of this podcast, I do uh, back setup support uh, new business startups uh, within the recruitment sector. So if you are interested in setting your own recruitment company, please direct message me on LinkedIn and uh, we can arrange a chat.